Well, good morning. It's uh, wonderful to be back with you again. Uh, my name is Tim Beavis, and uh, um, I have uh, recently stepped into the role of adjunct teaching pastor here, and so uh, I'm thankful to uh, be able to be uh, with you this morning and, uh, and, and uh, joining my voice with yours in, in worship to this great God and King that we serve. Uh, if you are with us for the first time this morning, an especially warm welcome to you, but uh, uh, whether you're a regular here or have been coming for many years or this is your very first time, we are so thankful to have you with us. As you came in this morning, you should have received a copy of the bulletin, and I want to encourage you to take a little bit of time later on today to make sure you read over that so that you're aware of all that's going on in the life of the church, different ways in which you can connect. There's also in there a communication card, a tear-off slip uh, that you can uh, fill out, and you can share some prayer requests in there. You can uh, communicate with us if you're interested in learning more about how to plug into the church. It's just a great way to get to know you, and especially if if you're newer to the church, we would love to hear from you uh, with that. You know, as um, uh, we look back on this, this week, uh, one, of the, one of the days that took place at the beginning of the week, which I always find a little bit of a strange tradition, but at the beginning of the week, it was uh, Groundhog Day. And uh, uh, even though it's a little bit strange, it's kind of a big deal up in Woodstock, where I live, because of the movie that was filmed there a number of years ago. And if you, uh, if you have seen that movie or if you remember anything about it, you'll know that basically the premise of the movie is the idea of the same day repeating over and over and over again. And so you've got the main character played by Bill Murray, and he wakes up every morning, and it's exactly the same day over again. It feels like he's trapped in this never-ending cycle. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, it seems to me that there are some seasons in our life that can feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. You know, where we feel like we're just stuck in a rhythm, in a routine. Maybe we feel like we are, are, are getting up in the morning and uh, maybe we've got kids in the home. And, and, and so we're getting up and, and, and we're getting the kids ready for school. And it seems to play out exactly the same way every day. And we're getting them breakfast and trying to get them out of the door on time. And then, and then we head out to work and, and we put in a day at work. We come home, we fix dinner, we uh, get everybody bathed and, and, and ready for bed. And then we, it's kind of like wash and repeat. A day after day after day. And we can feel sometimes like we're sort of in this cycle, in this rhythm. But it's also true, you know, in our walk with the Lord, that sometimes it can feel like we're kind of going through the same motions over and over again. Sometimes we can even find ourselves just wrestling with this idea of, uh, there doesn't seem to be the same meaning in it as there once was, or, or, or there just seems to be something that is empty about the rhythm and the routine and the cycle. You know, over the course of the beginning of this year so far, and in recent weeks we've been going through this series uh, on prayer and fasting, and uh, many of you, I know, have participated in this period of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, some of you have, uh, uh, have really experienced God through this time in a wonderful and fresh way. Others of you have uh, participated in it, but if you're honest, it's kind of been a little bit of a chore. It's been hard work, even though you've stuck with it. 
uh, for, for others, maybe you started out this period with, with kind of good intentions. You, you really wanted to engage in this, but um, uh, it, it sort of just slipped from the mind and, and, and didn't really follow through. And for some of the rest of us, maybe we sort of sat on the sidelines a little bit and kind of just watched others participate. But even something like a time of prayer and fasting, for as wonderful and as rich as that can be, sometimes as we get into it, it can become something that then becomes sort of stale, rote, repetitive. So I want to spend a little bit of time as we wrap up this uh, series that we've been in in prayer and fasting, thinking about this. And in particular, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. And what we're going to discover together is that all of our spiritual activities are empty when they miss the heart of God. And they fail to result in a changed life that is empowered by His Spirit. And we're going to examine uh, some, of the, some of the challenges that ha- have to do with, uh, with kind of a, an empty ritualism that sometimes we can fall into. And consider what it looks like to walk this Christian life empowered by the Spirit and really connecting to the heart of God. And so if you've got a Bible with you, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to join me in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58. And... Uh, We're going to look together briefly at this whole chapter, Isaiah chapter 58. As you're turning there, uh, um, you'll want to know that Isaiah was uh, uh, one of the uh, prophets in ancient Israel. Uh, He is ministering to a a disobedient people at a time of uh, tumult, at a time of, uh, of kind of unrest in the land. And in fact, because of their disobedience, they are going to soon be uh, going into captivity as part of the discipline of God for their unfaithfulness in order that they kind of would be, go through a season of purification. But as we uh, join this chapter, it begins with these words, cry aloud, And do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting, like yours this day, will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day? acceptable to the Lord. And so in the midst of, uh, of, of the, the disobedience of the people of Israel at this time, they were still going through the motions. In fact, they were, uh, they were showing up every day to the temple. They were participating in things. They were spending days in fasting. They were spending time in prayer. They were presenting offerings. They were going through the motions. And yet there was kind of this ritualism. And what God has to say through his prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel at that time 
is simply this. Get rid of your empty ritualism because it is worthless. It's worthless. And so uh, we have these statements like, so in verse 1, it's the instruction to Isaiah to speak up and to to announce this to the people. And then in in verse 2, we see kind of what the predicament, what the situation with the people is. It says that they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And so they're going through the motions day after day after day after day after day. They're going, they're they're professing to seek God and, and they are uh, delighting to know my ways. But that, that sounds like a good thing, right? But here's the problem. Their delight was to accumulate information for themselves. As we see from the context here, they, they were not really wanting to know God's ways. They were simply wanting to know more about him so that they could be more knowledgeable It's kind of like, you know, when we switch on Moody Radio and we've listened to the 43rd message this week. And we love it and we're ready for another one. Why? Because there's great preaching on there and we just want more information. But we're not doing anything about it. So he's speaking to a people who are going through the motions. What they're doing on on the outside looks good. All of their spiritual activities look really impressive. The only problem is there's nothing underneath it. There's no substance to it. And as he continues to speak to them, he says, they're acting as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God. They're putting on a show. They're pretending to be really righteous. They're they're, they're looking really good on the outside, but there's nothing underneath. You know, as I was reflecting on this passage, I was thinking to myself, what an indictment. In fact, there's a sense in which, if we're honest, we could probably look at the nation in which we live and think of a period of a number of years that have gone by and think to ourselves, you know, really as a nation in many respects, we have desired to be seen as righteous. But we've not really cared too much about what God really says in obedience to him. We say, God bless these United States of America. And we desire that. But not if it really means obedience to what God has to say. And that's how the people of Israel were acting. They ask me, he says, for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. What does he mean by they ask for righteous judgments? They're basically saying, hey God, tell us again how you're going to bless us. Hey God, uh, uh, um, so we're coming out. What are you going to give us today? I just got back from a trip overseas a couple of days ago, and uh, I was so thankful to be back with my family and my precious daughter, Sophie. She's five. She came up to me. She gave me the best hug. I gave her a kiss. And she said, did he bring me anything? And, and, that, and that's what they were doing. Uh, oh, God, it's great to see. So what have you got for me today? They were delighting not in God but in what they wanted to get from him. And you know, the kind of way in which they were behaving, as they fasted, 
as they took time to, to supposedly be seeking God was actually what Jesus later on in Matthew chapter 6 uh, would speak about again. There in Matthew chapter 6, he's, he's talking first about prayer and then he talks about fasting. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrite, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So they were doing all sorts of spiritual activities and they wanted to, to show that to everyone. To say, hey, look at me, I'm spiritual. Look at me, I'm participating in this. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But instead, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We'll talk about this in a moment. There is a blessing that comes from God when we rightly are pursuing him. But they were falling into an empty ritualism. And in fact... We have to be careful of this. Because you see, as it says here in the text, it says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. They were seeking their own pleasure, their own agenda. They were oppressing others. And their spiritual activity was actually causing division amongst them. You know, sometimes in our life, if we are brutally honest, we find ourselves engaged in what might be considered to be a a lot of spiritual activities, but actually they're empty ritualism. And, and, and we, we may be in danger of uh, being engaged in empty ritualism if, if, first of all, we desire God's blessings more than God himself. That's the situation here with the people of Israel that, that Isaiah is crying out against. They weren't seeking God. They were seeking what they wanted. There was this idea of God's like this, this holy vending machine. God, we're putting the money in. God, we're doing our part. We're pulling the lever. Where are the blessings? In fact, you get this from what they're saying here. They, they, they say in verse 3, why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God, come on, we're doing our part. Where are you? They weren't seeking blessing. They, were, they weren't seeking God. They were seeking blessings. We may be uh, engaged in empty ritualism when we grow weary or complain that our practice is boring or doesn't meet our expectations. Again, it's that idea of our agenda rather than God's agenda. Sometimes... Some of us maybe even struggle with this. We, we, we show up to church and we leave church and it's kind of like, well, yeah, that didn't really meet my need this morning. Yeah, you know, I didn't get what I wanted to get from church. I don't know if that's the church for me because I don't feel like my needs are being met. You know, sometimes the reason why we are struggling, why we find things to be boring, why we don't find things to be as satisfying as we think they should be is because we've got this list of expectations that we've kind of developed ourselves. And if God doesn't meet our expectations, well, what's the point in doing it? Spiritual activities that are seeking our own agenda are ultimately empty ritualism. Ultimately, empty ritualism. We may also be in danger of being engaged in empty ritualism. If it fails to be reflective, or if our spiritual activities fail to be reflected in a spirit-empowered life change. 
In other words, the, the, the impact of our activities doesn't last beyond the ritual itself or reflect the heart of God. Here's the thing. When we meet with God, when we have an encounter with God, the Spirit of God changes us. When we draw near to God, we cannot help but walk away with a greater sense of His heart, with a greater renewal, with a greater a, a passion for the things that He is passionate for. We're in a dangerous place if we find ourselves going through all sorts of motions over and over and over again and our heart not being changed more to the conformity to the image of Christ. You know, right here in the text it says, fasting like this, verse 4, fasting like yours, will not make your voice to be heard on high. Folks, religious ritual alone will never bring us near to God. It may be that some of us have spent most of our life in church. Maybe you grew up in a family and your family went to church and maybe it was in a traditional environment or in, 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 a, in a tradition where, uh, where you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you came up through and you attended some catechism classes and you were confirmed uh, um, and, uh, and, and maybe you had first communion. And, 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 and over the years, you've gone through these different rituals. You've gone through these different things. You've, you, you, you've gone through these different traditions. Or maybe that's not your experience, but you've been kind of coming to church and you've been, you've been checking this thing out. Or, or maybe you've been interested in, in, in this aspect of this different religion. And you're sort of coupling these different things and doing these activities. But at the end of the day, there is just this nagging sense that it doesn't quite satisfy. That there has to be something more. Maybe there's a nagging fear that you're not doing quite enough. Folks, I have some wonderful news. And that is that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ has nothing to do with religious performance. It, it has nothing to do with empty religious ritualism or doing certain things over and over and over again because none of us can ever earn our way to God. We cannot perform our way to heaven. Because every one of us has a sin problem. Every one of us, apart from Jesus Christ, is separated from our holy God because we have committed cosmic treason against him. Because we've gone our own way, we've rejected his commands, we've preferred our ways rather than his. In the same book, in the book of Isaiah chapter 64, it says that all of our righteous deeds, all of our religious activities are like filthy rags before God. They're of no benefit to clean up the mess of our sin. But thanks be to God, what we could not do for ourselves, Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the only one who has lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. He is the one who died in our place to bear our death, to pay our debt. 
who rose again victoriously to life, that our sins might be forgiven, that a new life might be available to us, that we might be able to come to him by faith. And as it says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Thanks be to God. And so if you are engaged in all sorts of spiritual activities, and yet there's that sense of just going through the motions. And just as Bethany reminded us earlier on, that forgiveness, that salvation, that drawing near to the heart of God isn't about our performance. It is solely about putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf. And so as this passage continues here in Isaiah chapter 58, he goes on and we we see that we need to recognize that a real relationship with God will always reflect his heart for others. You see, in the midst of the empty ritualism, they were doing this fasting, they were doing prayer, they were presenting all of these offerings, they were doing these sorts of things, and yet their life bore no hallmarks of having been near to God. He says, beginning in verse 6, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And so we kind of have this list of these different things here. And and what God is saying to his people is quite simply the fact you're going through these religious activities. But when you finish them, when you finish your 21 days of prayer and fasting, when you finish presenting your offerings, when you do these different rituals, you then go out and mistreat others. Your heart has not been softened to the needs of others around you. There's not the sense of, of loosing the bonds. There's not this sense of, 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 of hospitality and sharing your bread with the hungry or bringing the homeless into your house. There's not this sense of going to those in need. And so we need to understand that the practice of our spiritual life is supposed to spill over into every other area of our life. And especially is to be witnessed in, in our generosity and our hospitality and in our compassionate care for others, especially those in greatest need. Tragically, one of the great criticisms of the church of Jesus Christ in our day is that we lack compassion. And I think that there's some things with political ideologies that have no place in the church that have been a part of this. But friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, We ought to be the most caring, the most compassionate people that there are. Why? Because when we look at God, when we look at his heart, it is for those who have no voice. It is for the widow. It is for the orphan. It is for those who others consider to be an outcast. When we look at Christ himself, 
Who did he spend time with? Sinners and tax collectors. Oftentimes, we have made the mistake of trying to divorce spiritual activity and biblical truth and the desire not to compromise on the truth, and we have divorced it from the heart of God itself. We want to be theologically correct, but we do it with a hard heart. Equally wrong are those who profess to know uh, Christ Jesus and who are so involved in everything that the world has to say about human rights and social justice and this and that and the other, and yet they completely ignore what God has said. What God is saying to his people through the prophet Isaiah is the fact that when you draw near to me, your life in increasing measure, ought to reflect my heart for others around. In the book of 1 John in the New Testament, we hear that if anybody says that they love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Coming face to face with God, drawing near to the heart of God, will always leave us with a greater compassion for others around us. I'm so thankful for what took place here on Friday night at the Night to Shine. I think it's a beautiful thing that this church was involved in to serve and to minister to people in our community who sometimes are seen as less than by the world around us. What a beautiful opportunity we had. And thank you to those of you who were involved in making that such a meaningful time for those who came. But as this text continues, it's interesting because even though uh, he's been talking about this idea of empty ritualism, it goes on to show us that while we, while we seek after God to enjoy intimacy with him, there is also great blessing that results from that. So we're not seeking God primarily for blessing, we're seeking him for him. But there is a joy, there is a blessing, there is something wonderful that comes from that. We see this in verse 8 and following. It says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. What's the then referring to? So when you draw near to me with the right heart, when you desire to know me, when, when um, in the power of the Spirit your life is yielded to me and you are being gradually sanctified, transformed from having drawn near to me, then you will experience what he has to say. He says, your light shall break forth like the dawn. When in the Old Testament, we see this idea of light. It's often associated with, with God's blessing. But it's, it's the idea that we are vessels of God's blessing. We're not only recipients of God's kindness and blessing toward us, but we also are those who pass that blessing on to others. It says, your light shall break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. That's talking about like a, a, a spiritual restoration of the soul. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. 
If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. I love this verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden. You shall be like a spring whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You will raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. He's talking here about the the joy and and, and the, the blessing that comes. When we let go of empty ritualism and instead... We draw near truly to God. When we stop saying, God, so I'm here because I have my agenda and my plans and my expectations, and we simply come to him. Because God knows how to bless and to satisfy his people far more than we know. We come to God with these puny desires. These things that we think will satisfy, these things that we would really enjoy having. Well, Lord, I'd really like more money. I'd really like that promotion. I really think it would be good if I had this, and I think you should give it to me, God. But, but God here actually presents these wonderful blessings. He talks about the fact that, that he will be like a rear guard to us, that he will go before us. It talks about the fact that, that, that he, will, he will hear and answer, and there will be this sense of intimacy and relationship, walking with him. And I love the fact that it talks about the fact that he will guide you continually and satisfy your desire, even in the scorched places. So even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of... He, he, he will draw near and meet that need. You know what? an incredible privilege followers of Jesus Christ have to know that Christ himself has promised that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And right here in this passage kind of reflects what it says in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, on your own agenda, on your own expectations, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Think of this. What a, what a joy to know that it is God who is directing your path. How amazing to think that the sovereign Lord of all creation, the one who is infinitely good, that he goes before us, that he is a guard behind us, that he sets and establishes the path that we walk on. And that he knows how to satisfy the deep and earnest desires of our heart that we might not even ever be able to express with words. And then this passage closes out with what at first seems to be a shift. Because it moves from talking about this idea of fasting and prayer to the issue of the Sabbath. But what it's really doing is actually helping us to understand that the answer, the solution to the problem of the empty ritualism is simply this. To delight in the Lord. To learn to delight in the Lord. 
And so uh, he continues and this chapter closes out in verse 13 and 14. It says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, in other words, if you no longer kind of trample on this thing that I have given you, if you no longer disrespect my ways and think that your ways are better, if you, if, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, if, if you change direction from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, a, a holy day that is honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, that's a great phrase right there. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's what that means. I said it. I'll do it. I said it and I do it. This is a promise that God sets before his people. And so what is it exactly that he's saying here? Well, he's talking about this idea of Sabbath, and we may have that question. Well, so are we supposed to do Sabbath today? It was kind of this way in the Old Testament. What is it supposed to look like? Honestly, that's a bigger topic than I really have the time to get into right now. But here's what you need to know. God does not and has never intended for us to be 24-7 on the go. He has not created us to be go, go, go. He has made us to enjoy rhythm and rest. And whether or not we set apart a day specifically or, or a, a, a time during the week, we need time, at least on a weekly basis, where we set it apart from the norm. One of the things that we do when we do that is we acknowledge our dependence upon God. You see, some of us don't stop. Some of us don't take time to rest. Some of us feel like we've got to go, go, go all the time because we have this, this, this idea that everything will fall apart if I don't. Guess what? You're not that important. The world will continue to spin when you stop. And in fact, when we stop, here's what happens. The whole thing of Sabbath rest, the whole thing of, of, this, of, of, of putting this in the right place is that we need time to recalibrate our hearts. Because if we don't, then everything that we do becomes an empty ritualism, a going through the motions, a burning the candle at both ends, an exhaustion and getting us nowhere. In fact... The very purpose of Sabbath is to reset our focus through worship. It is to allow things to find their proper place before God and to regain a perspective on his greatness and his sufficiency. And in so doing, we get to recalibrate our hearts so that our actions and our attitudes of our daily life flow into our right worship. And more than that, our right worship is never divorced from the actions and the attitudes of our daily life. We need, if we are to escape an empty ritualism, if we are to come out of a period of 21 days of prayer and fasting and actually see that be not just an island, it wasn't that great that we did that at the beginning of 2020, but something that actually propels us into the remainder of the year. We need to experience time 
to delight in the Lord. To recalibrate our heart each week is part of why we gather together corporately. And this is so vitally important to sit under the teaching of God's word, to raise our voices together and declare songs and hymns of praise because that's right, because he is worthy. But even beyond that, let me challenge you. We need to adjust our agendas to place worship of God in the center of a time of Sabbath so that it will flow into the remainder of our week. And that means that we need to do something different than we're doing right now, many of us. We need to have a set-apart time where we take time to intentionally delight in the Lord so that that will overflow into everything else. So that we don't just kind of have a Groundhog Day church experience. Get up on a Sunday morning, get ready for church, arrive, sing, 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 sit, pray, 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 sing, 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 listen, 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 leave, leave, leave. But instead, we need a rhythm. And here's how we do this. This is what is just simple. Take time on your own or with your spouse or together as a family. Separate a time out. Maybe a Sunday afternoon is a great time for this. Maybe that doesn't work in your schedule, but you need to find a time that does. And you do three things. The first is, is, is simply this. Look back. Look back on the week that has passed. Give thanks to God for his faithfulness and stop and actually spend some time thinking about, you know what, I was stressed about that this week. And God, even though I was panicked about it and didn't know how it was going to work out, you got me through it. Thank you. To take time to look back and say, God, I messed up this week. I sinned in this area. And I don't, want to, I don't want to hold on to that. I don't want to skip ahead and pretend like nothing happened. I need to get real and I need to repent of that before you forgive me for that. To reflect on his faithfulness. As we look back. Also, the second thing is not only looking back, we also need to look up. We, we need to make sure that we're carving out time again on our own or, or with our spouse or together as a family. To do something really intentional. To reflect on the greatness and the sufficiency of God. And maybe for you, maybe you love getting out and, and, and going for a walk. You love being out in, in, in nature. And maybe for you, that, that's something like just setting a time where I'm going to get out there and I'm going to commune with God as I go. And I'm going to thank Him for just the beauty of His creation. And I'm going to remind myself again of the greatness of who He is. Maybe for some of us, it's a matter of saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to, once a week, I'm going to take one psalm each week. And I'm going to take a little bit of time and I'm just going to read over that psalm and reflect on that and think about the greatness of God. And again, recalibrate my heart and my mind to again just delight in who he is. And so we, we, we need to take time to look back. We need time to, to, to look up. But also if we're really going to make the most of kind of this Sabbath, this idea of delighting in the Lord, this idea of allowing our spiritual activities to connect with our life, we also need to make sure that we take time to look forward. Again, whether it be on our own, with our spouse, or with our family, that we actually look into the week and we say, Lord, I got these meetings coming up or I got this situation coming up and I don't know what to do about it. 
kind of confused about what this is going to look like. Or, Lord, I've got this coming up, and I am not looking forward to it. Or, Lord, I've got this coming up, and I'm really looking forward to it. And we just dedicate those things to the Lord. And maybe with our kids, it's an opportunity to connect with them and say, hey, what have you got coming up this week? Really, you're, you're, you're worried about that, that math quiz? Let's right now, before the week even starts, let's just take that to the Lord and ask that he, would, that, that he would go before us into this and that we would remember his greatness no matter what we face this week and that we'd be able to look back and remember his faithfulness last week. We'd be able to look up and remember the greatness of who he is and so that will help to propel us as we look forward. See, empty ritualism is ultimately worthless. But God wants us to learn to delight in him in fresh ways. Problem is, sometimes in the midst of the busyness of our life, that can be a struggle for us. And so, so we, there's much more we could say about Isaiah 58. But what I want us to do as we close out our time together this morning is to think about what we've done in recent weeks with our prayer board there and those post-it notes. And you'll notice that inside of your bulletin, there's a, a, a post-it note again for you. And I would just encourage you to take a moment, as in a moment Bethany comes out and plays quietly, to think about what in your life has become a ritual. Something that you want to seek God to revive. Or, or bring delight to. And you might want to uh, start off uh, what you write on your post-it note as being something as simple as, Lord, would you teach me to delight in you and find a renewed joy in whatever it is that seems like it has grown stale or empty or purposeless. We have a God who is delightful. Who is delightful. And delighting in Him is the most satisfactory thing that our soul can ever do. But that means that we need to abandon an empty ritualistic way of doing things and seek Him and find joy in the greatness of who he is. So let's take a moment to do that. And you may want to go up and post that on there. You can just leave it anonymous. It's a great way for us to reflect on what we're calling out to God for.
Father, I just want to thank you for this uh, Dave giving us today. I just thank you for this series that we've been in as we've had an opportunity to uh, pause and to reflect and to just think about your work in our lives. And um, God, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives individually and collectively as the body of Christ. And as we move um, through this series on prayer and fasting, God, as we come to the conclusion of our our 21-day prayer and fasting series, I pray that this would be a work that would continue in our lives each day. And um, God, I just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ and that through your spirit we can encounter um, your presence on a routine basis. Um, God, I thank you for the love that you have for us. And um, God, I just want to pray that you would continue to draw each of us close to yourself. I pray that you would continue to give us an ever-increasing sense of your presence in our lives. And that, God, we just commit them to you. We commit this church to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.